You are listening to Hellcat's Hope, episode number two. Welcome to Hellcat's Hope, the podcast to find humor, healing, and hope. Come along with Hellcat as she explores ways to help you overcome adversity and find your own inner Hellcat. Yes, Hellcat is her legal middle name, and hope is her game, bringing hope to others by showing what's possible. Here's your host, law school grad, motivational speaker, author, and certified life and smoking cessation coach, Lori Hellcat Bamford. Hey guys, welcome back. And if this is your first time to visit, thanks for joining us. My name is Hellcat. As explained in the intro, I am a lawyer. I've been one for 25 years. Motivational speaker, certified life and smoking cessation coach, soon to be a published author. And my mission is to love, learn, and be a passionate advocate for fairness and hope. And how I'd like to do that is through this podcast. This podcast, Hellcat's Hope, is for people who are looking for a little bit of hope and to see what's possible in their lives, in their relationships, in their businesses, in their communities. In each episode, my goal is to share some personal stories and practical takeaways that hopefully motivate and inspire you to find your own inner Hellcat in your day-to-day life. So thanks for being here and let's get started. Today, I wanna talk about finding a way finding a way. I'm sure we can all think back over our lives where we maybe began to lose hope, but we just found a way to make things happen. I want to talk about resiliency and resiliency in action. The dictionary defines resiliency as the capacity to recover quickly from difficulties. It's also defined as just pure, sheer toughness. And as I look back over my life, Resiliency has been an important concept and factor in my successes, my challenges, and how I have managed adversity. When I was thinking about this topic and talking about resiliency, I immediately thought of how we always say kids are so resilient. And thankfully they are. You know, when we think about ourselves or other kids who maybe had a rough go of it or having a hard time, we always can point back to the fact that kids are resilient. And I don't know why, but that seems to dwindle as we get older. And what I'd like to do is maybe see how we can ignite that sense of resiliency today and keep that trait and capacity throughout our adult lives. Part of the strength of resiliency as a child is they don't really know any better. They just know that they just keep going. They don't really know fear yet. But more importantly, they don't assign any shame or judgment to failure or mistakes. You think about a little toddler just learning to walk and how many times they fall down and they just get right back up. Whether it's walking or learning any sort of new skill, they just get right back up and they keep trying. They have that sense of resiliency and they're lacking assigning any shame or judgment to failure or mistakes. So what I want to do today is I want to think back and share with you a couple of stories where I met with some adversity, but I just kept going because I wanted that end goal that I had in mind. And these stories may ring true with you as well. And I hope that they open up some of your own memories 
of the many instances where you persevered in your life. The end game here is I want to see how we can apply resiliency today during this pandemic or if you're listening at a later time and that's over with, you can apply this to any challenges and adversity that you may be facing today. I've carefully and thoughtfully chosen these stories because I hope they will tug at your heart a little bit, definitely make you laugh, and then open your mind to think and apply it in your life and tap into your own inner Hellcat and your own inner resiliency today. My first experiences with resiliency were watching my parents. If you haven't listened to the episode one yet, I grew up one of 11 children. I was the third oldest. And I saw the struggle and the effort that my parents had in making sure there was food in the house and on the table, that bills were paid, that rent was paid, and that we had a safe place to live. We moved a lot. I think many times it came down to my parents just had to rob Peter to pay Paul. They had to make a decision between, do I use this money to get the kids some food or do I pay the rent? So many times we moved probably once a year and we were renters. And essentially what would happen, it was probably one of two things. Either one, they learned that we had that many kids and it was a breach of the lease. I imagine when my parents signed the lease, and the landlord asked how many people would be living in the house, they may have left off that fact that there were 11 children. I think in many of those instances, we may not have been allowed to lease that house. Secondly, it was during a time in the 80s where my dad had lost his job. He had a great job with General Electric and with the oil bust, he had lost his job. But the resiliency he showed during that time, he went to work wherever he could. I can remember him working at several fast food restaurants all at the same time because he had 11 kids to feed. This is just what you do. And I have zero doubt that they did the absolute best that they could do. My dad and mom were the walking, breathing definition of resiliency. And I am forever grateful for being taught the power of that through their actions. I also learned resiliency not only from my parents, but from my siblings. The older siblings, Mike and Julie, all the way down to Rebecca and Travis, the younger, each of them have their own miraculous stories of adversity and resiliency. They too are walking examples of hope. I hope to have many of them on future podcasts so that they can share their own stories of how they dealt with different various forms of adversity, not just as kids, but as adults. I have watched my siblings prevail in circumstances that just are not even imaginable. I have watched them thrive and grow in adversity and challenges that may come up from having children with disabilities, from having cancer, from losing your child. I've seen them with such strong resilience in death and how we all came together when our father died in 2018. I've seen how they handled lost jobs, lost homes, natural disasters, lost relationships, changing careers, addiction, divorce, dealing with bigotry when your child is gay, mental health issues, cancer, grief. How they each showed up in resiliency is inspiring to me on so many levels. So I learned resiliency from my parents 
and I learned resiliency from my siblings. And so now I want to share a couple of stories about resiliency with myself. As I mentioned, I was the third oldest out of the 11, and circumstances sometimes mandated that I would stay home from school because it's just what had to happen. And so I missed a lot of school, and so my grades were not the greatest. But in addition to okay grades, I apparently am terrible at taking standardized tests. I can recall throughout my education as early as seventh grade that I knew without a doubt that I was going to be a lawyer. I enjoyed talking. I enjoyed reading. I enjoyed writing. I enjoyed the process of research and research papers. I just knew that that was something I wanted to do. So as high school was winding down, I knew it was time to take the ACT and the SAT and apply to colleges and apply for financial aid. Now, mind you, my parents were trying to figure out how to get food on the table. So they didn't have any extra time to help me apply for the financial aid or the college applications. Gratefully, I had an incredible mentor in high school, Sally Squibb. She was an English teacher in high school. She was also the speech and debate coach. And she very lovingly took me under her wing to make sure that I stayed on the right path. And so she helped me fill out the applications for college and taking the ACT and the SAT and applying at the different universities. But she couldn't go in and take the test for me, right? I bombed the ACT and the SAT. And I don't know how, with my okay grades and bomb test scores, I still managed to be accepted to Midwestern State University in Wichita Falls, Texas. And I'm so grateful for that. I was in the band, and so I had a little bit of a scholarship. I had completed all the financial aid forms, and so I had a lot of grant money because of our financial situation and the number of children, and so I was on my way. I had spent the summer before college working as much as I could so that I could have a little extra money in case I needed it and a little bit of spending money. So it was time to go off to college, and my parents, we hopped in the station wagon, loaded up my things, and headed toward Wichita Falls, Texas. And we get there, and we walk into Killingsworth Hall, and I very confidently and proudly walk into the residence hall office and announce my arrival as the newest freshman of Midwestern State University. And they start to check their list, and my name is not there. And I said, well, there must be some mistake. The band geeks are supposed to report this week for band camp. I mean, I know classes don't start for another couple weeks, but I'm supposed to be here. I should be on the list. I've been accepted. And they said, well, did you fill out a housing application? Uh, what? A housing application. You have to apply for housing. Well, I didn't know that. <laughs> How much is that fee? $100. So the little bit of money that I had saved aside, I whipped out $100. I plopped it down. I filled out the application form. But all the rooms were taken. However, there was a utility closet. Now, mind you, it's not your typical utility closet. I don't want to leave the impression that I was having to stay in a closet. But it was an extra room where they were keeping cleaning supplies and extra linens. But you know what? There was a bed. And I was there to pursue my dreams of getting my education. I was happy as could be. But that is an example of meeting adversity, thinking, I'm not going to have a room. What am I going to do? But you know what? We found a room and we found a way. So fast forward, I graduate from college in four years with honors. 
And the only reason I want to emphasize that is because I want to tell you that those standardized tests do not measure how you're going to do in college or life. Those tests do not measure resiliency. They do not measure grit. They do not measure our ability to face whatever adversity we may have and to just keep plugging along. So I graduated from college and I knew I wanted to go to law school. So I start applying for law school. I start applying for financial aid. I start applying for scholarships. And of course, I had to take another standardized entrance exam, the LSAT, the law school admissions test. And can you guess it? Yep, I bombed that too. I received conditional acceptance to the Oklahoma City University School of Law. As a condition of my acceptance, I had to attend their summer program, which was a three-month program with Professor Arrow at OCU, who, let me just say, is a genius. And he walks in and our book is about four inches thick and written in a language that I can hardly understand. And every day he would ask us, do we love the law? Yes, Professor Arrow. We love the law. And throughout that program and the entire summer, they kept everyone at like a D average. Everyone was making 60s, 50s. And there were many times I was living there by myself and I thought, I don't, I don't know if I'm built for this. Maybe I should just go to Burger King Management School because that's where I had worked during the summer and the managers, they loved me. And let me just tell you, I was the drive through queen. My cashier drawer was always perfect down to the penny. And if it wasn't, I put my own pennies in there. And they begged me to go to manager school. And I just started thinking, maybe that's what I should do. Maybe I'm not cut out for this. But then I thought, no, you're going to see this through. You're going to push through. You're going to law school. You are going to be a lawyer. This is the plan. This is your dream. This is what you're going to do. So I had that resiliency. I picked myself up. If I was going to get out of there with a 60, I was going to get out of there with a 60. Now, in retrospect, what they were doing is weeding us out. They were weeding out those who were just maybe there because their parents were making them go to law school. They were weeding out people who were like, no, I think I'll just try law school. That sounds fun. No, I was there for the long haul. And so I somehow passed and was admitted to Oklahoma City University School of Law. I received an amazing education there. And I graduated in three years in the top 12% of my class. Again, the standardized tests don't measure resiliency. So that was an example of where I could have just given up, but I knew what my end goal was. And I knew I was just going to have to be tough and I was going to stick it out and just whatever was going to happen was going to happen, but it wasn't going to be because I walked away. The next story I want to tell you in my case for resiliency, is I found myself in Mexico without a passport. You heard that correctly. In my job, I'm so lucky that I get to go to various conferences across the country. One of my favorite is the National Indian Gaming Association Conference in San Diego every spring. We also have some lovely friends, John and Rick, that live out there. And we always make a point to see them. And we just love San Diego. It is the perfect running weather. It's the perfect weather, period. And we just always have a great time. My husband goes with me. And while I'm working, he's playing. 
But by the end of the day or toward the end of the conference, I always have a little bit of free time. So we decided we wanted to check out some areas around San Diego. They have a great trolley system. And so their trolley system actually goes all the way down to the border of Mexico. What fun could that be? So we get our little tokens, we hop on the train, we're talking to people and people watching. It's wonderful. And we get down to the very end of the track and we get off and we're like, oh, let's just walk around. You know, there were vendors and, you know, there's music playing. And I was like, this is kind of cool. Let's let's walk around. And so we're walking around and I notice the flag of Mexico. It is enormous and it's beautiful. And of course, I need a selfie with it. I need a picture of this amazing flag. And so I was trying to see which angle was best. What is the best angle? I've got to get a picture of this flag. And so we were walking up this hill and we get to this wall and it says Mexico across the top. And I was like, oh, that's cool. Yeah. And so I'm looking, I'm so I'm getting some pictures of the flag, but it's just not really a good angle. And so I thought I just need to get a little bit closer. And so we go through these turnstiles and we walk down this ramp where we can kind of see it a little better and we take our pictures and take a selfie. And so I'm heading back up the ramp. And now, mind you, I took two years of Spanish in college. No, that was not a requirement at Midwestern State University. However, if I wanted to avoid algebra, because hashtag math is so hard, if I wanted to avoid algebra... I could take an extra year of Spanish. Where do I sign? Take my money. So I ended up taking two years of Spanish and I was very good at it. And my lifelong friend, Gigi, um, we were in the same class and, and I was her tutor. I'll just leave it at that and leave those stories for another day. But as math was hard for me, Spanish was hard for her. (laughs) And so I couldn't remember a lick of it though. And you know, if you don't practice that, it's gone. So I'm going back up the ramp and people are speaking to me in Spanish and I know it's not good. I know they're not saying hello. I know they're not saying have a good day. They are signaling basically you can't go that way. And I thought to myself, what do you mean I can't go that way? Of course I can go that way. And so I proceeded up the ramp back to the turnstiles and I go to go back through the turnstiles and they're stuck. They're one way turnstiles. Oh, this is not good. So we walk down the ramp and there's only one door and we walk through the door and there are the federales with their rifles and they're lined up on each side. There's three on my left, three on my right. And we walk through, it was almost like a tunnel. You know, when they make the human tunnel and you run through the tunnel. Yeah, they couldn't do that because they're holding rifles. And so we just walk right on through. And it was like that scene in the Wizard of Oz where they walk through the door and there's color. That's what it was. And there were different smells and sounds and it was loud and music and dusty. And I wondered, where are we? We are definitely not in the United States anymore. And so I start walking around and the first store I come to is a liquor store. And I go in and I'm asking if they speak English. Habla inglés? Habla inglés? Not really. No. I find someone that can kind of piece together what I'm trying to say. And I don't know why we do this, but I'm yelling. I'm talking very loud and slowly to this poor gentleman. Los Estados Unidos. Over there. I need to go over there. And the gentleman just looked at me very patiently and kindly. And he pointed over to a line. And he said, go. 
get in line. So my husband and I turn around and we see a line and it is all the workers who are trying to get into the United States to go to work. And I look at the line and I cannot see the end of it. I see a long line of people with their papers trying to get into the United States to go to work. I don't see anyone that looks like me and I see no end to this line. And so we begin to walk. Now, mind you, I'm wearing flip flops. I'm a vacationer. And I tried to explain that to the liquor store guy. I said, listen, I did not mean to come into this country. I just wanted a picture of the flag. Of course, he didn't understand anything I was saying. He just directed me to the line. So to the line I go and we walk and we walk and we walk. I still don't see the end of the line. Now, mind you, I am a delicate flower. I don't like the heat. I don't like dirt. I don't like to be uncomfortable. Let's just be honest. And so finally, I just stopped walking. And I just sat down. And my husband is just standing there. And he's like, what do you want to do? We, we've got to get in line. I was like, I'm not getting in that line. I'm not walking anymore. I went back in the United States. I didn't even mean to come over here. I just wanted a picture of the stupid flag. I'm not going anywhere. And I crossed my arms and just sat there on this cement block. Well, this gentleman comes up to me. He was probably 60 years old. He comes up to me. Psst. Hey, lady. I said, yeah. You want to go to the front of the line? Uh, yeah. I take you to the front of the line. <laughs> okay. How much? $12 each. <laughs> Deal. Now, probably would have paid $100 each. Because I was not waiting in that line. I just wasn't doing it. And so I said, come on, let's go. And my husband is just mortified. I mean, he doesn't know what to do. But he knows that I'm not walking anymore. And so we're going to follow this gentleman. And there was the sweetest little family visiting Mexico from Germany. And I think they did the same thing. I think they accidentally walked through the turnstiles. Now, mind you, there are no signs. When you're on the other side, on the United States side, there's no sign that says, hey, you might want to stop here. If you go through these stern turnstiles, make sure you have your passport. There's no turning back. No, there's nothing like that. And I tried to explain that to my friend, John, who lives in San Diego. I said, John, it's terrible signage. There's nothing there that says, hey, you need to turn around. And John paused and looked at me ever so sweetly and said, how about the one that said Mexico in big letters across the top? So we're following the guy and the sweet little family from Germany. The mother comes rushing up to me. It's a mother and a father and a 14-year-old daughter. And they said, please, please, you take us with you. I'm sorry about my German accent. I, I, I don't know what that should sound like. And I said, sure, you can go with me, but I'm not making any representations on what's going to happen. Yeah, I was in lawyer mode. I was like, listen, I, don't hold me accountable for what's about to happen. I just know I'm not getting in that line. and I'm not waiting to get back into the United States. So... The German family, my husband and myself, we follow this guy and he takes us down a back alley where there's no one else. And we line up, we pay our $12 each, and then up pulls an unmarked van, a passenger van, a 13-person passenger van. And they open up the doors and they're like, get in. So I climb right in. We all climb in. The German family, my husband, myself, and about six other workers also trying to get to the front of the line to go to work. And at this moment, I'm sitting in the van and I'm thinking, I'm either going to get back into the United States or I'm going to have a new trade. That's what's going to happen. But the resilient part of me was like, I'm just going to see this through because here's the deal. I'm not getting in that line. So let's just see what happens. Thankfully, 
the passenger van started to drive. It went over a bridge. It got on the highway. It was heading in the direction of the United States. So that was all good. And we got to the front of the line. Now, I thought that was the hard part. But getting through U.S. Customs was even harder. My husband got right through because he had his military ID. I, on the other hand, had my driver's license and social security card, and that was it. So it's my turn, and I thought maybe I could turn on this Texas charm that I have. Hi, how are you? No, no response. What are you doing in Mexico? Well, it's kind of a funny story. So, like, I was trying to take a picture of the flag. How long have you been here? Well, I, I've been like looking for how to get into the line and, and all that, you know. And so I'm trying to explain to him what we were doing there. And he had a terrible attitude with me. He was so rude. And I just, I was just dumbfounded. And I said, here, I'll give you my license and my social security card. He says, I did not ask for your social security card. That was your idea. I thought, oh, this is not going well. And to my left, I can see the German Shepherd dogs. My husband is nowhere to be found. They made him leave. So the Southern Charm was not working. Trying to laugh it off as you won't believe what happened was not working. So he typed some information in the computer. And I went on my way, thankfully. So again, resilience. Resilience got me back in the United States without a passport. So those are just a couple of stories I have about times that I have been faced with adversity and I had to tap into my own resilience. I have many other stories like that that I will share in future podcasts because again, one of the main reasons for this podcast is to share how we do all have this inner sense of being a Hellcat and overcoming adversity. A book that I read about three or four years ago is by Diana Nyad and it's called Find a Way. And when this topic came to me for this podcast about finding a way in resiliency, I immediately thought of her memoir. It had such a huge impact on my life when I read it. I took notes on it. I highlighted in it. It just really spoke to me. You see, Diana Nyad is an American author and a journalist, a motivational speaker, and a long-distance swimmer. So I really related to her stories of endurance athletes. Diana gained national attention in 1975 when she swam around Manhattan. And again in 1979 when she swam from North Bimini in the Bahamas to Juneau Beach, Florida, 102 miles. And in 2013 on her fifth attempt, and at the age of 64, she became the first person confirmed to swim from Cuba to Florida without the aid of a shark cage swimming from Havana to Key West, 110 miles. If you have not read her book yet, I highly recommend it. Talk about resiliency and tenacity. Diana shares in her book, I failed and faltered many times, but I can look back without regret because I was never burdened with the paralysis of fear and inaction. I may have been floundering out of the water, but I was insistent on living a fierce life. I was bold and there was magic in it. She writes at page 187, when you hear the stories of most leaders and people who have attained high levels of success, meaning also non-famous people who have triumphed over hellish circumstances, they can speak of natural talents, experience, good fortune, timing, and mentors, but they collectively agree the critical denominator to any individual's succeeding is perseverance. She says that regardless of our genetics, no matter the bad luck of our circumstances, we choose our courses of action. 
She shares story after story of close friends and strangers that were quick to assess the long list of obstacles out there for her in completing this mission and that deemed them impossible to overcome. But she noted they were all forgetting the one key factor that surpasses all the rest. And that's the power of the human spirit. So now it's your turn. I want you to think about resiliency and perseverance, and I want you to apply that today during this time of the pandemic, which we will find our way through this too. I bet you can already make a very long list in your journal of all the ways that you have made it through the past few months. And I really encourage you to do that exercise. The power of the brain is amazing. You know, so many times it wants to send up the old messages that tell us that we can't and what we haven't done and therefore that we can't do. You have to truth check that and you have to say, no, here's how it really is. Look at all these other areas of my life that I have persevered and where I have shown resilience. And when you do this, you're reinforcing to your brain that you are resilient and know how to persevere. You may have other adversities going on in your life right now. Maybe you're listening to this today and the pandemic is over. You could think about this with any adversity that you may be going through. How can you be in gratitude like I was to have at least had a bed and be on a college campus pursuing my dreams? How can you find a way to get back in the game with your back against the proverbial wall? How can you find your way back when maybe you've missed a turn? How can you be an example to yourself and others of resiliency and finding your own way? I'd love to hear from you. Please head over to Hellcat's Hope Podcast Facebook page and share your stories of resiliency and encourage us all. Or simply drop me an email at hellcat at whatthehellcat.com. I leave you with this. Helen Keller said, although the world is full of suffering, it is also full of the overcoming of it. So thank you for listening. Please subscribe if you've liked what you've heard. Thank you all so much. I'll see you next time. Thank you so much for listening to Hellcat's Hope. And if you like what you heard, please subscribe. To book me as a speaker for your next event, work one-on-one as a coach, or find more information on my upcoming book, please go to whatthehellcat.com. Thanks for listening.